if you have a Bible, uh, you can open it to Colossians chapter number one. Um, Colossians chapter number one. Uh, it's been a while, obviously, since we've had a normal Wednesday night, or at least one that I've been here uh, to enjoy with you. And since the last time I was here, we've done uh, quite a bit of reading in our Bible reading plan for this year. Uh, we finished the book of Romans. How many, how many thought the book of Romans was intense? Anybody? Anybody think that there was like some interesting moments in there, right? Danny, why didn't you preach more about that? That's why, because they were interesting. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we finished up the book of Acts recently. We finished the book of Colossians, and now we are uh, reading the book of Ephesians. And so uh, we've had a lot of different different changes there, read a lot of different things, and certainly it's been a great time. But uh, before we kind of move into Ephesians or other uh, letters that we'll be reading over the next couple of weeks, I wanted to make sure we didn't miss just a, a small opportunity uh, to spend some time in the book of of Colossians. And so that's where we're going to be at tonight. The multiplier dies a little intense. I apologize for that, although you'll understand in a few moments why uh, there's so much intensity there. Um, how many of you remember, and I, I know it seems like it's been a little while ago now, but how, how many of you remember that moment when the coronavirus was like first a thing, right? Like the first time you're hearing about this thing called COVID and people getting sick and mass hysteria, you know, worldwide or whatever it is. I I don't know if you remember exactly where you were or what that moment was like, but I, I do for me. I remember um, what it was like when it all started happening. It was about a week for us before spring break vacation um, kind of time in our area. I was serving, uh, of course, in youth ministry at the time, and in fact, I was planning with our college pastor at, uh, at Petal Harvey, I was planning to take a few of the high school students with the college students on a ski trip in West Virginia. And so we're kind of planning that activity, invested a lot of money in it, looking forward uh, to, to that trip, and then coronavirus became a thing, right? COVID hits the scene. And so just before spring break, uh, trips and competitions began to get canceled for our school district. Matter of fact, a huge thing in pedal was show choir. We don't have a lot of that around here, at least I haven't noticed it, but it was huge in pedal. It's actually pretty huge in South Mississippi in general, but a ton of our students at Pedal Harvey were involved in show choir and every spring break they would do these massive competitions I think they were going to like maybe Disney World that year or it may have been Nashville I can't remember which one it is but they were all excited geared up ready for it and I'll never forget the complaints and the parents and all the things I heard about I can't believe they canceled our show choir competition they're ruining our lives forever right there's like all this talk about you know what what's happening in those moments a few more days pass by and it's not just just our school district that begins to shut things down, but even major sports begin to get canceled and postponed. You remember that? It's like March Madness. Nope, not happening, right? It's college baseball. Boom, it's all gone. By the way, I'm sure LSU would have won that year, so it's just, you know, fortunate for everybody else that it got shut down. Anyway, at that time, we've also been thinking about the ski trip that's going to happen, and we decided as a church, as a college ministry and high school ministry, that we would go ahead and cancel our ski trip even though the resort was still open. And we're really glad we did because the Monday that we would have started skiing, they closed all the slopes in West Virginia. So we would have driven through the night, got there, woke up, turned around, and came back. So, of course, everybody hated that we canceled it. Who are you people, you know, once again ruining our lives? But 
but I'm glad we did because we didn't have to go and then drive all the way back. A few more days, college campuses begin to shut down. They begin to propose online schooling for the rest of the year. I remember when I heard that, I was like, what does that even mean? Like, what are they talking? There's no way that can happen. There's no way we can actually do that, right? It was just this, this weird uh, scenario. A few more days pass, and my kids get an extended spring break. They could not be more happier than to know that they get to stay home for a little bit longer. Then churches begin to cancel services, right? Large groups can't meet together, can't be, you know, indoors because they'll, they'll spread the virus, the threat of the virus. A few more days, restaurants begin to close. People begin to start working from home. It becomes mandatory to wear those awful things. You remember, they were masked. All this stuff begins to happen, and it's just like, this is unreal, right? Like, how is this taking place? Is this actually actually going on in our world? Is this a conspiracy? Is this actually happening? You know, there's just all these thoughts that are going on. And even now, like when I think back on it, it all seems extremely crazy. Like in my mind, it's almost like it, it really never even happened. But you're thinking, you know, why are we talking about this? I learned something in those days. I know you don't believe it. I'm a slow learner, but I did. I learned something in those days. Here's what I learned. If you want something to spread, just get it to one person who can spread it to a few more people. That's what I learned, right? Like if you want something to spread, get one person to spread it to a few other people. As a matter of fact, I saw this graphic earlier this week and it made me think about COVID or the coronavirus, right? Like that's what it made me think of. One person getting it, don't go around other people because then they're going to get it and then they're going to give it to more. You, you see the process, right? This is uh, a natural uh, thing for us. That's what happened. When people continued to go around other people, the virus would spread. One person would spread it to a few and it would continue to multiply. But at least in theory, you can have your own conspiracies that you want, but what happened when people stopped being around large groups of people? Well, in effect, it stopped spreading, right? People stopped being in contact with people who had it. Therefore, they could not pass it on to anybody else. Therefore, that fifth time that was actually going to be you wasn't you. You got left off the chart because somebody decided not to spread it to somebody else. Now, I know you're thinking that was a long time ago. Why are we talking about any of this? COVID doesn't even exist anymore. Just kidding. I know it's out there somewhere. It's really just because I want you to see something interesting in connection with our text tonight from Colossians. The same way COVID, right, or any virus for that matter, the same way that it spreads so quickly through multiplication is the same way that God wants the church to spread quickly, right? Think about it like this. If you want Jesus to spread... Just get one person to spread him to a few people. Very similar process, right? In fact, listen, Paul gives us a picture of this progression in Colossians chapter number one. He shows us how the spreading continued, really how it began, so that the church continued to multiply. I want to show you this first, and then we'll read. It started with one man. That man's name in this context was the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, I want to pause here. Because this is the example that we see the first stage in the process of spreading Jesus to the world. It started with one man, his name was Paul. One guy was changed by Jesus, and then he began to spread it to others. Now, he shows us a little picture, at least within his own life, that I think is just interesting for us to process through as well. The first part was that he was willing to suffer for the church. Now, this wasn't abnormal for him or Christians at this time. This, in fact, was the example of Jesus. He had also suffered for the church. So would his followers as they continued to advance the gospel. This is why Paul wrote, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right? That's back in Colossians 1, 24. Paul remembers. He shares with them again. They probably remember many of the sufferings that he dealt with, not because he was making poor decisions, not because he was dumb, not because he invested in something that he shouldn't have invested in and it came back to get, no, no, he's suffering because he's advancing the gospel of Jesus. Now, the greatest suffering was endured by Christ himself. We know what this was. This is the moment when he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus was clear when he told his disciples that not just he would suffer, but they would also suffer. You may remember this. This is John 16, 33. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul knew more than most about the sufferings of Jesus. In fact, if we just think about Paul for just a moment, what was he doing before he began following Jesus? We know what his life was like before, right? Before he was following Jesus, he was killing those who followed Jesus. In other words, Paul contributed firsthand to the sufferings of Jesus through persecuting and killing those who followed him. Like if anybody had a great uh, 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 picture of what the suffering of the church was, it may be the guy who witnessed the church being killed because of their faith in Jesus. He was a part of trying to end the movement of the church. He saw firsthand the sufferings of persecution and what people suffered who followed Jesus. But he also knew about suffering because he himself suffered and endured what similar things to what Jesus suffered when he was in the world. Of course, he met Jesus. Life changed forever. That's another you know, topic for another time. But he went from killing Christians to now leading people to follow Jesus. He went from watching people suffer and be martyred for their faith to being one who suffered and was persecuted for their faith. In fact, there's a great passage of scripture. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul details out some of the sufferings that he endured because he was a servant of Jesus. He says this, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was at drift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from... Bad, right? 
I think I could just stop there. It started with one man, his name was Paul, who was willing to suffer for the church so that the name of Jesus could be advanced. Also, he was willing to sacrifice for the church. I, I think it's beautiful what he writes in verse 25 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, I became a minister according to, don't miss this little phrase, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul understood what stewardship from God meant, and he took it seriously. This was personal for Paul. He had given his life to Jesus and now was made a steward of sharing that with the world. His dreams, whatever Paul's dreams were, they were dead. Paul's uh, uh, plans for his future, gone. Whatever was happening with his family, he considered it all lost, right? Like all of that was nothing to him. As he would tell the church in Philippi, I counted none of those things as anything except for knowing Jesus. That was his, his whole life change. You say, Danny, how does, that in, how does that picture sacrifice for us? Because the moments where we think, well, Danny, I, you know, I'm, I'm not getting as much money as I want. Or I don't live where I want to live. Or I wish better things would happen for me. Or I wish all my dreams would come true. Like when we have all these ideas about what we want and life becomes about us, we could not be more foreign to the type of thinking that Paul and the early church had. They didn't care about those things anymore. They cared about spreading Jesus to the world. If that meant they didn't have the luxuries they wanted to have, that was okay. If it meant their families weren't going to look the way they wanted to, they were going to live in the community they wanted to live in, they were going to have the things they wanted, all that didn't matter anymore. More. Why? Because Jesus is what mattered most. Now, Danny, can we not have nice things? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I have nice things. And I thank the Lord every day that he's blessed me with those things. I think the difference is, is that Paul would sacrifice any of them so that people could know Jesus. His responsibility was not to have nice things. His responsibility was to spread Jesus to the world. He was a steward of sharing the gospel with the masses. Anything he had now became God's. Didn't mean it had to go away. His life may be different than your life. His call may be different than your call. The question you have to ask yourself is, am I willing to sacrifice anything I have because Jesus is better? Am I willing? Because Paul was. He was willing to sacrifice for the church. The New Living Translation, I love the way it phrases this same verse. It says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church. That's what stewardship looks like in this context. He was responsible for spreading the gospel. Y'all remember that graphic? I'll go back to it. What would happen if you start taking some people out of this equation, well, what would happen is you wouldn't have as many people toward the end, right? If you just started taking out just single groups, right? Let's say this guy only went to one instead of three, and now this guy only went to two. See how that number is affected big time? That's why when we didn't go around each other, when COVID was a big deal, it stopped spreading as much. Once again, you can think about that however you want to, but that's the process. The same thing happens when we don't realize we are the people that are responsible for spreading Jesus. So all those opportunities that we have to see someone become a follower of Christ because we share Jesus with them, but we didn't, now those people get erased from the image. Now those people don't populate heaven anymore. Now the responsibility, as Ezekiel would say, the responsibility is now us. The blood is on our hands. 
Paul said, not me. I will be a steward of the gospel. I will be a minister of the gospel. I am responsible to see these people's lives change. He would sacrifice it all. That's why you would read all the different missionary journeys that Paul went on. Four of them to be in fact, if you count his imprisonment at Rome before he dies. All of that, sacrificing what may have been for the sake of Jesus. Why stop? with sharing Jesus to one person. Why not share him with entire cities and countries? That's exactly what it looked like for Paul. Let me show you this too. The, the, the one guy that this starts with is willing to suffer, willing to sacrifice. He's willing to serve for the church. I love the end of, or, well, really all of 25, I guess, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. If you're looking at verse 25, take that little clause out in the middle and just read, I became a minister to make the word of God fully known. That's the ultimate statement that Paul's making here. You know what the word for minister is? It's where we get our word in the New Testament for deacon. It literally means to serve. Now, we may never be more like Jesus than when we minister, as Paul talks about here, or when we serve. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses this word to describe himself. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the idea, the concept that Paul has in his mind. He was willing to risk it all just like Jesus did. Why? So that people could know Jesus and be changed by him. Here's what you got to think about in this moment. What about me? Like, make it personal just for a moment, okay? I could tell you all about me and how I'm also not here, okay? I'm with you. This is a us kind of moment, right? Think about yourself. Are you willing to suffer for others so that Jesus can be known? Are you willing to sacrifice your own well-being, your own stuff, so that people can hear about Christ? Are you willing to serve, put others' needs above your own so that people can be changed by Jesus? Will you personally take responsibility for telling others about Christ? Multiplication started with one man. How can it start with you in this room tonight? progression continues though let me show you the next part of what happens certainly it started with one man but it started with one man Paul sharing one message Jesus right like don't forget he's not just out there you know selling knives because he thinks knives are really good and valuable to people's so, no, no, he's sharing Jesus right like that's what he's doing as a matter of fact can I just side note here a lot of us are willing to be passionate and share about a lot of things <laughs> But yet we're not when it comes to the best thing. You with me? I ain't, trying to, I ain't trying to be too pushy there, but you know what I'm saying, right? He goes on, Colossians chapter 1, look, back, look, look at verse 26 and 27. He says, the mystery hidden for ages. This is what he's a minister of. This is what he's proclaiming, he's sharing. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Don't miss it. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I don't know if you know this, because we are very fortunate and blessed in the time in which we live. But there was a time when the message of Jesus was a secret. Matter of fact, I was having conversations around the office today thinking about how could the Jews not know that Jesus was coming? 
How could they not know that he was going to be born where he was born? How could they have not witnessed Herod trying to kill all the babies and realize this must be a big deal? How could they not see what Jesus did, hear what Jesus... How could they miss it that bad? Like they had everything they needed to point them to Jesus, yet they missed it. Well, friends, here's why. There was a time when this mystery known as Jesus and salvation through his blood, it was a time when this was unknown to those who lived. Those in the Old Testament before Jesus was born had no idea of the impact of God that he would make through his son Jesus. Did they have claims, prophecies, references? Sure. But could they have put all together what was going to happen and the implications that it would mean for the fullness of Christ in us? Of course not. In fact, can I tell you this? It's not just true that there were people in the Old Testament that didn't know who Jesus was. It wasn't that it was just a secret then, but there are still many people who have no idea about what God has done for them because they have not heard the message of Jesus. But can, you t can I tell you something that's great and sad all at the same time? That message is no longer hidden. It's sad that people around us don't know because we have the message, and if they don't know, it can only be because we have not told them. But it's blessed in the sense that the message is revealed. We, at least in this room, for the most part, I would assume, have heard the message, trusted the message, and believe in the message. Mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What an incredible phrase. The situation has changed. A savior has come. The mystery has been revealed. The success of God's people could know no bounds through Jesus. Paul would put it like this to the church in Galatia. This is in Galatians chapter 3. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. It's incredible, the mystery that is now revealed. What is it? Well, that's what Paul talks about in verse 27. That mystery is Christ in you. Can I tell you something? Even though that mystery has been revealed, can I just, it's still a mystery how Christ does what he does for us. Still a mystery how the supernatural power of conviction through the Spirit can bring about salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still a mystery that he would awaken my eyes and my darkened soul to his marvelous life. It's still a mystery to me why he would choose Danny Boudreaux. It's still a mystery to me why I'd be standing here telling y'all anything at all. It's still a mystery to me why Jesus ever did what he did, but I am thankful that Jesus did it. And there are so many that long to know and experience this truth. Matter of fact, one of the most interesting passages is in 1 Peter chapter 1. When he wrote these words, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this. Things into which angels long to the mystery Christ in us so many have longed for, looked toward, even angels have desired to see is now here. It's one thing to know that Jesus gave his life for us, but it's another thing to realize that Jesus gave his life not just for us, but he gave his life to us. 
He doesn't just want to save us from our sins. He also wants to save us from ourselves. He wants to save you, but he also wants to live in you and through you. This is the Christ in you. This is the hope of glory. You have the privilege of walking with Jesus daily as he lives in you, growing you, and making you more like what God created you to be. Friend, let that settle in for a moment. This great mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is yours. Are you sharing this message? There's a reason why this is known as the gospel. It's because it is, in fact, the best news that anyone could ever hear, because it is good news. Who have you told about the message of Jesus living in us? Multiplication starts with one man sharing one message. Can I just remind you of something? That one man is really you in this room tonight, and that message is Jesus. Are you spreading him? Let's go on. Number three, can't be here all night, I guess. Your decision, not mine, but we can't be. Started with one man. The progression goes on, sharing one message. Look at this, stirring one mission. What's the mission? Disciple making. That's, that's the mission. Seeing people meet Jesus, walk with Jesus, spread Jesus. That is the process that continues to move forward as we follow Jesus. Look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We'll keep going. Him we proclaim, Paul's still writing to the church at Colossae, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now I want you to notice what Paul describes in these verses. He's talking about more than simply telling someone about Jesus. Although that's good, and we certainly should tell people about Jesus, Paul knows there's more to being a follower of Christ than simply asking him to save us from our sins. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We want people to know. There's no doubt about that, right? We want people to know Jesus. That's why Paul wrote in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim. Jesus is the one we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We want them to know Jesus. The, the mission of every follower of Jesus is this, to make him known. We must tell people about Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Watch this. We don't just want people to know, we want people to grow, right? We want their lives to, in fact, be transformed into the image of Christ. We want them to go from that person who's finally realizing, man, I was dead in my sin, but Jesus saved me, hallelujah, to a person who's now studying their Bible, growing in their faith, investing in other people, and eventually spreading the gospel themselves. We want them looking at every area of life through the lens of the gospel. Can I tell you something? That doesn't happen the moment you meet Jesus. Matter of fact, there are people who met Jesus 30 years ago and still aren't doing this, Right? This is the equivalent to someone getting saved and we handing them a Bible and saying, good luck and never see him again, right? We've talked about this before. It's the same way as if you birthed a child and then left them on the sidewalk in their car seat and said, good luck, get a job. That's ludicrous. We would never do that. But yet we do it with believers all the time. 
It's not enough that we want people to know. That's great. But we also want people to grow. This is why Paul said, not just him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, but check this out. It's in verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. We want them growing. We want them becoming more like Jesus. We want them not babies in Christ. We want them mature in Christ. Listen, there's some of you in the room tonight who can talk about maturity. Some of you that can't. Some of you that are a little older than I am. We would call that wisdom, right? Some of us would call that old. However you want to look at it, it's fine. But naturally in life, you don't stay a baby forever. If you did, there's a problem. You mature. You grow. Why would that not be the case for what we would desire for people who begin to follow Jesus? We want people to know. We want people to grow. But don't miss this, too. We want people to go. Ultimately, it just comes full circle, doesn't it? This is why Paul said in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What's Paul saying? What is he saying? He, he toils. He goes. He moves on to the next one, developing mature followers of Jesus. You know what mature followers of Jesus do? This might be a little heartbreaking, okay? This might be your gauge, all right? You know what mature followers of Jesus do? They know, they grow, and they go. So, friend, listen to me. If you're missing a part of this, then you need to look in your own life and see where you are in your walk with Jesus. Don't worry about nobody else, <laughs> You might have business that you need to do in your own heart with God tonight to say, where am I? Where am I in the disciple-making process? Where am I when it comes to my faith in Jesus? Where am I when it comes to maturity as a follower of Christ? You may have been saved for 50 years, and still you haven't moved to the next step that Jesus wants you to take in your journey with him. Can I tell you something? Even if that's you, it's not too late. Let's evaluate that tonight. Let's see where we are in the no, grow, go process, right? Let's see where we are multiplying disciples to the nations. Where are you in your walk with Jesus? Listen, this is a simple mission to process through. No, grow, and go. Are we making this kind of disciple? Are we this kind of disciple? Listen, multiplication starts with one man sharing one message, stirring one mission. That one man is you in the room tonight. That one message is Jesus, and that one mission is making disciples of him. Are you doing that? Let me show this last part, piece to the progression. Started with one man, sh sharing one message, stirring one mission. Look at this, spreading one ministry. That's how it ends, spreading one ministry. What do you mean, Danny? The church. He's talking about the birth of the church and its expansion across the globe. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 5. I know that seems like a little much, but I want you to see it. It, it. it pieces together. All this that he's talked about, this, this process. Now he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. They can't pull you aside, distract you. For though I I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What's he talking about? He's given a, a, a snapshot, a glimpse 
into the ministry that he calls the church. Let me just show you what, what he's telling us. He talks about how we endure the fight. He talks about how we endure the fight. This is a, a part of how he describes the church. He talks about himself. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. You know what the word struggle means? It means to engage in intense struggle involving physical or non-physical force against strong opposition. It literally means, if you translated it, to fight. We're in a battle. We know this, Right? We're in a battle with all the evil of the universe because the devil wants our soul. However, Jesus has come and won the war for our eternity once and for all. However, every day is still a struggle to battle. It's still a fight against the one who wants to hinder us from living out our faith in Christ. But you know what's great? We get to endure the fight together as the church of Jesus Christ. He says something else. He says we embrace the fellowship. I love the phrase he uses in verse 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. What a strong binding agent the love of Jesus is in our lives. The church is bonded together through the love of Christ. It's impossible for someone to have the love of Christ dwelling in them and not love others. If you don't remember this, this is Jesus' words. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The word for knit is interesting. It means to cause something to be known as certain and therefore dependable. It means to prove. That's exactly what the love of Christ does in us. It proves that we belong to Jesus and we belong to one another. We belong to a community unlike any other. We belong to the church, the bride of Christ, the one Christ is building that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Let me show you this little snapshot too. We encounter the fullness. All this is together, by the way, as the church. We encounter the fullness he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, we would we would be in this room forever if we tried to contemplate all the wisdom and knowledge that can be found in Jesus. And even though we'd be in here forever, we'd still never do it. He is the author of wisdom and knowledge. It exists because he created it. Jesus is our everything and he is all we need. We, as the church, encounter the fullness of Jesus in our lives every day. We may not even fully understand what this truth even means or how to explain it, but we're promised the fullness of Christ in our lives. What more could we ever need? Look at this. This is the last one. We encourage the faith. Once again, don't forget, this is all together as the church. Look back at verse 4 and 5. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. And look at this, the firmness of your faith in Christ. No matter what we face, our foundation is firm when our faith is in Jesus. Multiplication starts with one man sharing one message, stirring one mission, spreading one ministry. That one man is you in this room tonight. That message is Jesus. That mission is making disciples of Jesus, and that ministry is the church. What is your involvement? Let me just end with this side note. How are we, after looking at what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, how are we 
spreading Jesus to the world? Are we following that process? What are we missing? What's not there? What needs to change in our own lives? What is it that Jesus is showing you tonight that says, here's what needs to happen for me next. Here's where I need to go from here. Here's where I know my struggle is and I need to work toward and I need Jesus to do better in me. Here's where I am. Whatever that is, the question we have to end with at the end of the day is all of us are responsible for the gospel. Is it spreading or not spreading because of me? I pray that the Lord convicts you as he does me to not be the weakest link in the chain. I know that sounds horrible, but I don't want it to fall apart because I didn't, I didn't follow Jesus. Are you doing what he's asking you to do?